Greetings. Welcome to our Tuesdays at 2. This is Todd Greer, Executive Director of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. Continuing our exciting series of Tuesdays at 2, we are really thrilled to have with us Bill Steerly. Bill is an expert when it comes to not only communications and relationships, but conflict. And now we tease a lot of times that obviously social benefit organizations don't have conflicts, uh, but just in case they ever were to have them, just Bill's here, and we're excited to have along with Bill our founder and president, Hugh Ballou. Hugh, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. That's a good setup. We uh, we love hanging out with you on Tuesdays at 2. Of course, that's Eastern Time, where Center Vision Foundation is located. And these, these, uh, these video interviews are up on the site. Uh, where you're viewing it now. If you're not viewing it on the site and you're on YouTube, it's centervisionleadership.org and then go to events and you can find the live hangout. Today is a friend, a colleague, and a, a special person, Bill Steerly. Bill Steerly and I teach at an entrepreneurial business growth conference and we're finding more and more people in what Todd referred to as the social benefit sector. I like to get away from the, the word that's really a lie. Nonprofit is the nomenclature, but we can make profit. It's a tax-exempt organization that provides value, whether it's a synagogue, a church, or a community foundation, educational institution. We provide value. We're changing the world through the vision that we champion. And wherever there are people together in a group emotional system, we're likely to have a difference of opinion. And so, Bill, I want you to come up and, and talk a little bit about your background. You, you do a lot of different things related to human behavior and culture and performance of, of teams and leaders in, in group settings. But today, let's focus on this one little niche of conflict. So, Give us a little background on how you gravitated to understanding this and why you care about it. Bill, we're not hearing your microphone. We're losing, yep. We're not hearing your audio, and I'm sure what you said was really profound. Um, actually, I've, I've, uh, I've heard Bill talk about it, but I've actually seen Bill in, in motion and and where he's been in the middle of situations and had a very calm presence and a very present mind and asked very good questions when people were at a heightened level of anxiety over their apparent maybe apparent maybe real difference of opinion so Bill are you are you on with your audio no you're not no, you're not. We heard you before. Something we did happened. hear him before. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the cyberspace world. It sometimes is very fragile. When high tech doesn't work, it really stinks. <laughs> <laughs> He's smiling, so he hears me, but we don't hear you. Uh, I don't know what kind of computer you're on. We had you a minute ago, and you were like elegant sounding. <laughs> you wanna try to look at your settings on your computer and Todd we could start this over if you want absolutely in the meantime Hugh uh, you know we, we recognize this is a reality what's interesting is when you look at the issues surrounding conflict conflict 
leads to loss of workdays, tons and tons of workdays when you think about conflict in organizations. When you think about loss of revenue and loss of income and loss of program funds that amount from, from conflict, it's such a huge and important thing and that's why we're really excited to have Bill on with us. And sometimes we deal with this inanimate object, conflict with technology, um, and that's certainly an area that is a growth area. And I'm, I'm not sure if Bill has done any work in that area, uh, but maybe that's a, a comfort zone that we're all working towards is that conflict with technology. Bill, we're going to try you back. Let's see if we got anything from him. We're still trying to talk. Uh, if you move your cursor around the screen, there's a, there's a mute button. He's going to come back in and try to reset and All right. we can um, here he comes back let's see if it's if it's gonna boot up this time and give us the uh, it'll find his speaker yeah let's, I thought I, I thought I could log back in and maybe that would work it works perfectly and so let me uh, we had set you up and we well, were talking about human conflict but we seem to have a technical conflict there but I wanted you to give people a little bit of your background how you became knowledgeable on this topic and otherwise in other words why are you qualified to talk about this and why do you care yeah well I care so much about this is because over the last 23 23 years as a consultant I, I kept running into conflict showing up in three different places. There, the three major types of conflict is number one there's a thinking style conflict that people have different ways of seeing the world and that thinking style conflict would be an example like an engineer thinks very different than a social worker or a artist thinks very different than a drill sergeant so that's called a thinking conflict. There, um, a CFO thinks different than a, um, a vice president of of human resources, and a marketing a vice president of marketing thinks very different than a vice president of operations. I mean, uh, the COO. So they're very different people think in different ways. So that's called level. Those are all called level one conflicts. They're the they're a little bit easier to deal with. It's like you think this way, I think this way. Here comes tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Let's call the whole thing off. So, uh, why? Because if somebody is thinking in a sequential way and is very orderly or is going in a step by step way of thinking, that's very different than somebody that's more open minded and trying to synergize and and integrate and conceptualize those are different thinkings altogether and so the conflict is how do I take this idea person and mix it with this implementation person mm -hmm. how do I get this idea move into action that's that's the way that one works the way the other one works is how do I get these numbers that are these finances or the, the CFO thought to work with the different staffing that I have. I have these people doing something and I've got to pay them some money. How do I get the money and the staffing people work? So that's called, those are all level one conflicts. Okay? Now as a high conflict mediator, as somebody that goes into situations that there's 250 screaming people in a room, <laughs> 
Never How do happened. You never happened get in the church. 150 never. people scream into the room to start working together. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that I get called into, whether it's a city council, whether it's a police department, whether it's a you know a government agency uh, or a business where people are screaming at each other and pretty angry about stuff, and or the business is about ready to fall apart because of the executives and, and the things they're saying or doing either in front of each other or apart from each other. So how do we, you know, how do we do better in communication? And that's called a level two conflict. Level two conflicts have to do with how when the emotions rise and the person is in a fight, flight, or freeze response, and they're spitting words out into the environment, what do you say next in order for them to listen mm -hmm. and connect to themselves or connect to the other person that's speaking? Mm -hmm. How do they do that? And that's called a needs-based conflict. That one is driven by a need. Level three conflicts are belief-based conflicts. My point of view is correct your point of view is wrong. My belief is more is better or more valuable than your belief. Mm -hmm. That's a level three conflict. So, I don't know, Hugh, you may have run into level one conflicts where people are not even on the same page operationally. Level two conflicts, there's a whole bunch of emotion in the room. Or level three conflicts where you've got this volcano going off, either real time with angry furiousness in the room, or the internal volcano or called the nice dead person shows up, and they're just using contempt and seething and ruminating, and they're just sitting in the meeting just going like, I know we're in this meeting, but I'm going to get them later. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely, and there's different styles of coming at that. Uh, uh, Hauk is an author that writes about uh, his book, Speaking the Truth in Love. He talks about uh, passive, aggressive, assertive, and passive aggressive um, styles. And and we have, in especially in, in communities of faith or, or community-based organizations like a community foundation, we have a belief system which is about their vision. And certainly in right. the church we do. It doesn't mean everybody has the same view of that belief system. And what you pointed out, um, the, the, the paradigm and the dynamics in business, um, in my experience, seem to be magnified in, in a faith-based or community-based organization. Yes. So are there ways that um, you mentioned communication in, in that, that description? Are there ways that we as leaders do things that actually set up those complicated structures in the situation, like you described? Yeah, since you mentioned leadership, that's correct. There's, there's different kinds of leaders that, and these leaders do unknowingly most of the time, um, you know, set up the dynamic where that there's the disconnect that really actually shows up. And we want to talk to the leader. As a leader, we want to step in and be aware that different people have different skills and they're coming in to support the organization. Um, how I 
delegate and or empower one person to do it, how I check in with the people that are going to be supporting that person is, is really fundamental to leadership delegation. Now here's the one that's really challenging is I want to be able to do a better job as a leader to check in with the emotional tone of the individual and the emotional load of the situation. These two terms are ones that I use and that I've coined a while back is that the emotional load of the event can be building because you're not offloading the emotion as they go. Mm. So it's going to build. So how do you catch it early? Now, the question is, is that first thing is that we've got to know a thing or two about emotions. That's the first thing. The first belief that I change inside the organization, in type, in type of, in, in, in any group that I teach, is this first sentence. I have everybody in the group say this sentence back. Here it comes. There's no such thing as a good or a bad feeling. There's no such thing as a positive or negative feeling. Now that's going to be unsettling for people because they've been taught up with the belief is happiness and contempt, uh, content is the highest spiritual form that you can do. No, no, that's not it. That's not the, that's not, that's not, that's not it. Happiness is not the goal. So the replacement of no good feeling, no bad feeling, no positive feeling is feelings are only indicators. Feelings are only indicators. Very, very important lesson. Feelings are only indicators. There are 297 neuropeptides inside the body. These are called our molecules of emotion. I can scare either one of you and cause your bodies to be nervous with the following with the following sentence. And what it would do is is that um, are you hearing some background noise? Yeah, a, a little crackling of moose for Okay, we're we're cool. We're cool. Okay, good. Thank you. So so the so the so that I could scare each one of you by just saying this sentence. Hey, listen, I'm just, you can't see it in the video, but I'm noticing that there is a spider dropping down right, be, right behind your head right now. It's a, it looks like it's going to get on your, it's going to look like it's going to land on your shoulder, but I, I'm not really quite sure because I can't. Now, our physiology is set up to make the false sentence that I said true. Inside your body, as soon as I created the story, your hand went back up to meet your need for protection, to meet your need for safety, as well as the need for play. So Todd, that's, that's exactly what, what was energizing inside your body. There's a physiology change mm -hmm. with the words that I picked mm -hmm. and the story that I told. Notice the story. So if I say... Hugh, I'm noticing right above your head there's this little square and there, I see the spider web in there and it looks like it has a bug. Is that a black widow spider? 
your body cannot help but to start a little bit of anxiousness, a little bit of worried, a little bit of curiousness to see if that's true. Todd's looking at the ex at the at the little hole that I'm describing above your head. Now you could be looking at the hole and go like, God, he's really putting a lot of energy into this story. And that's what leaders have got to be cautious of. Not to tell a story to trigger the organization. Not to tell a story that puts spiders in their leadership. That causes the, the physiology to change. This is why this is why gossip is so dangerous. But go ahead. Yes. I bet we uh, I bet we set that up, and we're not aware. We inadvertently create those those problems sometimes. Todd, I mean, um, um, well, um, yes. We also it's the language choice, but it's also our emotion. If we show up full of anxiety, um, that's that's transferable to the whole community. Um, I wrote an article um, years ago, five, six, seven years ago now, for Creator Magazine. The whole it was a large article. It was about conflict, and I interviewed a, a bishop in Alabama, the Methodist Church, William Williman, and he said to me a couple of things that have stuck with me since then. He says, as as a culture, we pastors avoid conflict, and it would seem like the conflict avoidance would would uh, build the anxiety too, and it's really obvious to everybody else, and they're just saying, oh, it's all right. And he said, realistically, in, in a congregation, conflict is the sign of energy, so we don't really ever get rid of it. It's just learning how to manage it. So avoiding it, um, I mean, you, you mentioned one diet, uh, one paradigm is where we actually cause it by our words or our emotions, injecting the anxiety into the culture. Second one, by avoiding it. And he pointed out the longer we delay, the higher the anxiety rises. So a minimal thing can become nuclear over time. So there's, there's two paradigms that we sometimes set up and maybe not knowing that we set those up as leaders. So, so I'm glad you're bringing this in because the question is how do you manage your emotions? And here's the here's the here's the answer that is upsetting is that the most way that people manage their emotions is to suppress or ignore their emotions. That's mm -hmm. the worst. Because mm -hmm. what happens is it builds up inside and your body then has to fight that. And it's always trying to suppress that. Yeah. And after years, and you, this is where ministers get burnt out, this is where counselors get burnt out, this is where therapists get burnt out. So the Consultant. answer is, what is... Consultants get burned out. <laughs> yeah. Consultants get burned out. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the question is, is that how do, you, how do you offload the emotional load inside the body? Uh -huh. So I'm going now push my screen back here a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to just tilt it down a little bit here. Now I'm going to slide myself back away from the chair. So one little technique that I point at is, is that what is going on at my heart? What need of mine is being affected? Mm -hmm. And then I have my other hand down here as I'm pointing at my gut. What is the emotion that I'm experiencing? So I can be feeling anxious because my need for protection is not met with the spider story. I could be feeling scared 
because my need for physical safety is not met with the spider story. If either of you have had a traumatic experience with a spider, your brain cannot help but to time travel back to that event, bring it forward in the field of time, and cause your body to protect itself. I've had people in my workshops, when I do the spider story, cry, walk out of the room, physically get upset because wow. they had a traumatic experience with the spider. But it's the same thing with word choice. It's the same thing with what we choose to say to an organization we think is leadership, we think this is leaderly, but really it triggers a response to, oh, that's exactly what my dad used to say to me, and I had to, and then I'm going to do this because my dad said it that way, and now I'm going to treat you like him. In fact, I'm going to say the title. So all of a sudden this stuff comes by, and I'm trying to work out my own stuff at, at, while doing my job at the same time. That's, that's so important. I'm going to uh, go to Todd and ask for if there are any questions that are coming up, but when we come back, um, I want to talk about the preferential di differences. A lot of people, I know you don't use this instrument, a lot of people have taken uh, Myers-Briggs in their community and they look at introvert versus extrovert. So I want to talk about that, how we approach life as, as you know, you mentioned that early on. But let's check with Todd and see if, Todd, do, you, do we have any questions yet? At this point we don't. One of the things I want to let everybody know is if you look at the left-hand side of your Google Hangout, you will see a space, a blue uh, thought bubble that says Q&A. If you have a question at any point in time during our live Hangouts, feel free to click on that. What it'll do is it'll bring you up a window that's going to be on the right-hand side uh, of your screen. It's going to allow you to ask questions. This is a really intriguing area, and I just want to take a moment just to plug, because it's not just something that we want to talk about in a live setting. It's something that we want to interact with further. And so this week on Thursday, during our Thursday at 4 live Q&A, we're going to be talking about conflict. We want to continue this conflict discussion as we go further as we're engaging. And that's always available live on our website and also through the Twitter hashtag, hashtag nonprofitchat. So join us for that. If you have questions and you weren't able to see this live, please let us know at that time and we'd love to be able to continue to engage this discussion with you. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you for staying on that track. So, um, Bill Sterling you know, also has, has an article in um, this month's uh, Nonprofit Performance Magazine. And um, go to nonprofitperformance.org, sign up for your copy. Bill's got a really profound article. So, Bill, let's talk about I'm the extrovert and you're, and you're the introvert. I process out here. I think I'm brainstorming. You're the introvert. You think, well, there's no sense in talking. He's got it worked out. So we process the world differently. And I interrupted you. I'm sorry, but uh, kind of tag on how we see the world and how we communicate. And maybe sometimes that sets up things that we're not aware of. So when we take a look at the qualities of introvert and extrovert as a, and there's different types of introvert and extrovert, and it's a little bit of a rabbit hole. But let me get to the, the heart of your question, 
that mm -hmm. is going to help that introvert and extrovert question. And the deeper question is, is that how do we exchange empathy? How do we be able to use empathy as a tool to see what's going on and what's alive in the other person, as well as what's alive in us? Now, I'm using the word alive in us. What do, what, how do I get alive in one person to another person? So, mm -hmm. for example, you would be feeling curious and have a need for understanding about introverts and extroverts. I would be feeling energized because I have a need to contribute to you an answer. Mm -hmm. That is called the empathetic link between the two of us. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm talking to an extrovert person, they're feeling excited because they have a need to be heard or they're feeling excited because they have a need for creativity and they're sharing these ideas in an extrovert format. The person that's listening that might be introvert might be feeling doubtful because they have a need for clarity that's not being met with all of these ideas or they might be feeling nervous because the extrovert has given me seven ideas and how am I going to implement all of those seven ideas? Mm -hmm. Empathy is the invisible hand. Empathy is the thing that connects and binds us. The biggest problem is we don't have a very strong definition for empathy in our mm -hmm. outside world. I'm going to give you Bill Sterley's definition for empathy and you're going to see how this is a very sharp knife that I'm going to give you that can do a wonderful job at compassionately cutting through very violent conflicts. Here's the definition. Empathy only occurs when a feeling word and a need word are connected and agreed upon. Hmm. Empathy only occurs when a feeling word and a need word are connected and agreed upon. So, as I'm watching Todd write this th sentence down, he's feeling interested because his need for learning is being met. Do I have that right, Todd? Absolutely. Absolutely. Once he said yes and absolutely, empathy occurred. I'm mm -hmm. understanding his internal world because I'm using my eyes to do what they're used for, what they're supposed to be used for, observation only. Mm -hmm. So, Hugh, when I look at the expression on your face and I see the small smile, you really feel relieved because your need for contribution is being met to all the people listening to this hangout. When I see your hand go on your face, you're feeling uh, contemplative because your need for understanding or your need for clarity is being met fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every time we change our emotion, it's telling us about a different need that's going on inside ours. So, 
the two of you might be going like, what? You know, wow, he is on my internal world. How is he getting in my internal world so quick? Because I'm using my eyes as observers only, not judgers, just observers. I'm observing what's going on. And then I'm taking my best guess about what need I might be meeting inside you. It works for a gang member. It works for somebody that is screaming at me. It's the same thing for somebody that might scream at me. It would sound like this. Could you be feeling furious because your need for being heard isn't met in this city council meeting? Yes. <laughs> I now have empathy. I'm inside his world. Everything else, what most ministers teach, what most therapists teach, is a form of sympathy, not empathy. Mm -hmm. Empathy yeah. is not far, does not go far enough if you just imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. That doesn't go far enough. The person has to agree that you have the right pair of shoes on. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. Todd, say this back to me. Bill, could you be feeling energized because your need for contribution is being met on this in on this thing? Say that back to me. Bill, could you be feeling energized because your need for giving is being met on this hangout? Yes. Yes, and there's an enthusiastic yes because you are now not just imagining yourself putting yourself in shoes, but you're actually checking in to see if it's the right pair of shoes. If the, if the energy is right that's inside. Mm -hmm. So if the two of you, if I'm, if I'm going to challenge the two of you on this call, think of the most difficult message or the most dangerous message somebody that has said to you. Think about that message and I'll teach you how to empathize with that message. What is somebody that something, no matter what age the person, I'm thinking my seven-year-old right now, by the way, no matter what the age of the person, no matter how upset they were, what did they say or do? What was that difficult message? Or maybe somebody else told you a difficult message. It becomes, Bill, what would you say to a person that says this? So, what would that message be? What just came to your mind when I asked for a difficult message? And I'll show you how to be compassionate to it. I'll go ahead. Um, so I spent um, a previous decade in, in full-time ministry, and um, one of the most challenging, tough comments I ever received was following a sermon. It was one of the shortest sermons I ever preached. And I had a gentleman who came up to me and he said, that was the best sermon you ever preached. And I'm thinking to myself, he said that because it was seven minutes long. And not because it was good, because it was seven minutes long. And so I'm rattled. I'm annoyed. But as you talk about it, it met his needs. And, and, and so for me to empathize, his contribution was based upon the fact you're an entrepreneur, you're a, an engineer. It got right to the chase. It met your needs. So now let's empathize with you first so we don't walk by the diamond that you just gave me. Okay. So Todd, I'm really hearing that you really kind of felt a little shocked and a little unsettled 
because it didn't really um, uh, really meet your need for acknowledgement because of the longer ser ser uh, sermons that you had given you would like some acknowledgement for those and you're thinking that you know it really you know it didn't meet you know didn't meet your need for recognition because you really enjoy when you put extra time in things and this short sermon that you gave um, even though it was brief and it was succinct you know you, the the comment first hit you that it didn't meet your need for like acknowledgement or recognition because of the way you your body got affected he felt energized he felt grateful he felt um, encouraged because it met his need for efficiency maybe it it met his need for directness it met his need for information that he could use practicality mm -hmm. and he was saying that's the best sermon would you like to hear the sentence that you could have used to really made your life wonderful sure ready I'm gonna have you write it down too here it comes would you be willing to tell me the sentence that made the most difference for you if you would ask that question mm -hmm. you would have been able to receive his gift but the word here's the word that actually triggered you the word was best that's the pro that's the problem word is the word best it's funny bill because the cynical side of me is ready to ask that question so what really stood out to you but not the empathizing part of me that's correct the empathizing part needs you need to care for yourself mm -hmm. When I do a when a people come up to and Hugh same thing for you they say that was wonderful that was great that was stu stupendous oh yeah I can't receive that gift because if I receive that gift it's too general it'll go right to recognition praise uh, self worth it'll it'll escalate in my head my my head will start getting big I'll ask that I gotta ground myself immediately if somebody's gonna give me wonderful outstanding I'll, I gotta ask him what was the one thing I said or did that made a difference for you so I can receive the gift that you're giving me I learned this book I learned this I learned this lesson by this wonderful book called punished by rewards that's the name of the book by Alfie Cohn one of the best books on how and it's it's punished by rewards and here's the subtitle of the book the problem with the problem with incentive plans uh, wait a minute the problem with praise incentive plans uh, A's and other bribes it's all about how our society is so interested in praising the other person person as that it doesn't work it only creates temporary compliance and creates more conflict in the future because the acknowledgement is not specific mm. that we're not really telling what it meant to us about what you said now I'm gonna be him and watch how this Todd how, watch how you're gonna feel I'm gonna be that guy mm -hmm. watch this watch how you feel 
Listen, Todd, I'd really like to acknowledge your uh, your uh, sermon because it really it really contributed to me because when you said this sentence, it really it really uh, touched a place inside me that met my need for understanding of a conflict that what I was going through and and how I can be different with that conflict and and I just want to let you know how much I appreciate that and I really feel delighted that about your sermon. Mm. In fact, I think it was one of the best ones you've ever given. Look! Look! At, oh my gosh! Look at your <laughs> now. Okay, how do you feel about the way I just said that? It's it's very powerful because I not only does it affirm where I'm coming from, but it allows me to connect with you to understand what's going on in your head. Yeah, and that's the aliveness. Is I've got to be able to give the gift, and in our quest for an efficient language. We've become people that get stuck in head talk, judgment, criticism, label, diagnosis, uh, blame, shame. We get stuck in this language of instead of a heart-based language. Mm. And that's a whole other dissertation about how our language has changed over the last uh, uh, you know, uh, eight to ten thousand years, and it's become more judgmental, more criticism, more labels, more diagnoses, and it hasn't caused us to become more compassionate. It hasn't come uh, caused us to be more connected with each other. No. It just creates more violence. Can I? All you got to do is say the wrong word at the wrong time, and somebody will punch you. I do that a lot. I don't get punched very much, but I, I, you know, I, I say the wrong word at the wrong time, and I go, whoop. Let me put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> I just, um, Alfie Cohn is K-O-H-N, and Alfie Cohn is, is, um, does have a few opinions. And Alfie Cohn um, is against the, the practices that we have now in formal education. His uh, other book that I know about um, is about standardized testing. Yes. And um, he's a thought leader, and he, uh, I bet you he stirs up lots of, uh, lots of conflict and debate. I think it's healthy debate. People are talking about important topics. Um, but what exercise, let me observe, Maya, the exercise you just did with Todd, but the leadership piece that you're defining in different words is communication. And in my leadership world, communication is based on relationship. And you point, you listened, you were carefully listening to the words, you observed how how Todd was. So communication is, is several of those. We, we have several avenues that we transfer data, we transfer emotions, we transfer energy. We uh, adopt, we have this empathy thing either going on or not going on, but A, you listen very carefully and observe very carefully and then you entered into a relationship conversation with Todd about the topic. And I think sometimes we're just too busy or we're not really thinking because we got our own set of baggage that we're not really thinking about communication as relationship so we don't invest that much effort in it when in fact if we paid that upfront price it would pay dividends um, in the future. It's interesting that, that also in if I go in and work with a, a community, a board of a nonprofit or church and they uh, they sometimes come in with difference of opinions. Sometimes, like you, have been invited to come because there is a reigning uh, difference of opinion with people in different camps. 
And part of it is there's a power differential with people who are in power, like the preacher, or, or whatever, or the people on the board who are the pillars of the community. There's a a, a real and a perceived perceived yeah power differential. I think it's more perceived, which sometimes is more important than the facts. Mm -hmm. And there's no permission. There's there's an expectation that we have to behave a certain way. So the first thing I do is I ask them to put conflict and disagreement in this right hand. And I say, this hand represents a weapon. Let's flip it over here, and we'll now call it a creative tool. And we're going to write things and put it. You've seen the sticky walls I've used. Write them and put them up here. We can debate about these facts all day long. But we're in the same community. We're on this side of the line, and all the facts are up there. And let's disagree. And by the way, when we disagree, we might discover some other things that we might have in common. So I think there's a there's an engagement piece of this which you just entered into where we can actually open up and listen to each other. Is that part of what your message was there? Yeah, uh, a big part of the message is uh, the ability to uh, listen and apply empathy, get the feeling word and the need word to connect and then agree. And then the, the listening part, Hugh, is, is so huge because um, um, it's there's two parts of the equation. Number one, me speaking. And the me speaking part can be summarized into one word. Here it comes. Wait. W-A-I-T. Wait. Why am I talking? <laughs> oh, that's a quotable quote. <laughs> yes. Why am I talking? Am I talking to contribute or am I talking from what's going on in here? Am, am I, am, what need am I really meeting me? Because if it's meeting a need that, that you know, is not in alignment with the other person, why am I talking? Now, all of us have ran into people that have said too many words or more words than our ears would like to hear. They've literally filled up our ears. Would you like me to share with you how to get people to shut up? Compassionately, of course. This is worth the whole hangout. This is going to be worth the whole interview. Okay. This is the quickest way to get people to be quiet. Here it comes. Somebody starts in with a story. And you could see that, oh my gosh, this is the third or the fifth or the seventeenth time I've heard this story. And you know, they're looping around and getting working their way in communication to get back to this story. Okay. The quickest way to stop people from talking is the following sentence. Hold on one moment. Let me make sure that I've heard what you've just said. Let me repeat that back so I can make sure that I've heard what you said. Every 20 to 40 words, you're allowed to do that. Hold on one second. I want to make sure I'm listening. Let me make sure I've heard. Did I hear that correctly? They will be surprised because when you repeat it back verbatim, they'll tend not to bring you that story anymore. They can't bring it again and then check in with them. Did I hear that correctly? They'll do this. Watch. 
yeah, uh, uh, that means <laughs> I've scratched the record. You cannot go back and play the same story again because I've already heard that first part, and you and I have agreement that I've heard that first part. We're allowed as a human being because we are the shepherds of our own time. We get to choose how we spend our time. And I am not serving that person to listen to it for the 17th time. And I am clearly not serving my own life to listen to the story 17 times. So I want to save them and their life. Higher duty. And I want to save my own life and the time that I'm spending listening to it. And you want to now, save giving them a black eye. <laughs> no, they're appreciative. No, no. But, the but the anxiety, in my part, what I was 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 feeling was I've been in that situation and not know how to handle it, so the anxiety rises on my side, and um, I got a that's a that's a perfect tool. Um, we're about ten minutes longer than we normally do these, and but it's been a the reason we're going longer is because you have such great content and it's so relevant to this fictitious topic of conflict in the church. Yeah. Um, that we all experience, and we all wish we had some tools to deal with. So I want to wrap up in the next five minutes and focus Perfect. on some prescriptives or preventatives. You know, how do we as leaders um, have a healthy pattern so that we we're going to have conflict? So how do we minimize it? And then when it comes up, you've given us some ways to the prescriptives, like the one you just gave us. But let's talk about the setup first, and then how do we not make it worse? Okay, so the quickest way, that, uh, the quickest gift I can give people to deal with conflict is when somebody's upset is to make sure that I'm asking a question that's going to help when they're upset. Here's the quickest question that can slow down the emotional train. Mm -hmm. What are you needing and what are you requesting from me in this moment? What are you needing and what are you requesting from me in this moment? Now, they'll have a very, very difficult time answering that question. But that's okay. Because what they'll do is they'll give very valuable information next. It'll usually sound like, well, um, you know, what they said and did uh, um, uh, really didn't work for the whole group and it really didn't work for me. Here's your next sentence. So you were really needing fairness and cooperation inside the group and you're requesting me to help you get fairness and request and cooperation inside the group. Is that correct? Yes! Mm. Usually if you get an empathy mark the tone of their voice will go up a half a decibel. It's weird. It always happens. It's very strange. But it's usually, yes, or that's right, or finally. In other words, somebody has guessed the feeling and need inside me. So as leaders, by asking what they're needing and what they're requesting, in this moment, it gets the speaker oriented to what's most important. They drop out of storytelling mode 
and they provide us a opportunity to understand what's going on at their heart rather than the I've got to tell this in my tragic ex uh, attempt to get you to listen to me hmm. Hmm. and it drops them out of it it works everywhere it's worked whatever country that I've been in it works with it's just amazing how well it works. What are you needing, and what are you requesting from the other? Uh, what are you requesting from me? If it's with two groups, then it's what are you needing, and what are you requesting from the other side? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then that's and that and that tends to energize the thing. So that's that's one huge takeaway. You can you can stop a person by talking, by repeating, and then ask that question. That is a huge takeaway and the, the umbrella of what you just described is is us managing ourselves and what you just demonstrated is you you were it was conflict you you went toward the conflict often leaders avoid it they go away I'm, I'm gonna ignore that and it'll go away well no yeah so you move toward it and you were very thoughtful you were engaging and you were calm so the demeanor of your voice was calmness and you you'd ask a probing question which then was a different pattern. Now, if you'd come back with another insult to match their insult, then you would have participated in the escalation. But you That's correct. You didn't. Yeah. And so calm yeah. con contact, very present, and, and thoughtful yeah. listening you know, and hearing. Uh, Hugh, with that, with that last sentence there, um, calm is important, but authentic is better. So let me show you, the, the, show you what authentic would look like. Um, somebody would ask a question let's say if Todd asked me a question right now but meanwhile I was I need to do something for you watch how my emotion will be authentic and then match my answer listen Todd I really uh, Todd asked me a question asked me to do something Bill could you uh, go and get me the TPS report so, Todd, I'm hearing that you're requesting me to get the, the report. I feel torn. Right now, I, have, I need to contribute to Hugh for a second. And uh, is it okay if I clear that up with him and then be able to contribute to you? Would that would be okay? Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Just get back to me. Okay, thanks. Now, notice I wasn't calm. I was authentic. I felt torn because I want to help you with the report, but I also want to contribute to Hugh. And I'm not saying that he's more important. I'm just saying I feel torn between two requests. And then, and then it tends to go better. You asked for what you needed. I'm confused. I have these contrasting, conflicting priorities. And so you put it back into Todd's because Todd had no way of knowing that he set up a conflict with you. Oh, I'm doing this. Case. He's gonna, yeah. Yeah. But He's you, never going to uh, know. Mind reading is completely overrated. Um, you know, mind reading started when we were very ch when we were little children, and and our parents were changing our diapers, and and they didn't talk to us while they were doing it. We thought that they could read our mind at any time that we were upset. They just come over and fix us, and that's really where the whole mind reading thing starts. It starts right very early when our parents don't talk to us when they're doing stuff. They just do it for us. Man, you know, you so got to tell them that you're doing things for them that they're in relationship with you. Well, you know, and, anyways, 
it's engaging in conversation and not caving in, just, oh, i got to do that because Todd asked for it. There's just a whole lot of that. We could spend a whole a whole hangout on that one topic because there's so many little subroutines oh. of, oh, my, what happened in that conversation? Mind so, reading, man. Mind reading. Well, you've caused a lot of problems, Bill. Bill, you've caused a lot of problems because it's just this such a complex topic. You've opened opened a lot of things for us to talk about and explore. So I'd like to to invite you to come back at another time. We'll give people a chance to to just this. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell people about a couple of things coming up. But before that, if people send us questions, may we forward them to you and you would respond to them. Absolutely, and I do a lot of training on this. I come into various different size groups, and I have different activities and role plays to get people familiar so that they don't get stuck in fight, flight, and freeze and start shutting down and doing junky behaviors. How do you get a vibrant organization to actually make conflict safe, make conflict energizing? If you, can't, if you don't have in touch with anger, you can't get in touch with passion. you got to have both. You can't like... Do that. <laughs> well, people are going to experience you. 2015, um, we haven't invited you yet, but you will get an invitation to be some of our live events, and people will get to see you in action. Um, this is uh, Center Vision Leadership Org. This is our community for community builders. Not only do we present material, but we have places that you can have chats and dialogue about the different topics. And below uh, this, you can find an email and send us questions and as you just heard Bill Steerly say um, he will respond to those questions and if there are other areas in conflict you'd like to explore uh, we'll invite Bill back at a future date and do some more meanwhile make sure to go to nonprofitperformance.org and sign up for your free copy digital copy of nonprofit performance magazine now, this is our end of our Tuesday at 2, Bill Sterley. Number one, we're grateful that you've been with us. And of all the things that you would say to leaders in different kinds of organizations before we say goodbye, what's, what's the final point that you'd like to share with people, something they could savor or a challenge? What would you like to leave them with? Uh, the thing to take away is get used to bringing... Um, uh, the concept called scary honesty. Um, I want to be honest about the need of mine that wasn't met. And then by doing that, we can then bring bad news early. I just want the bad news early. I, I'd rather have the bad news first because then I don't want to wait for it. If there's something I'm saying or doing that isn't working for you, could you please bring it to me immediately? Bring bad news early, scary honesty, I'll make it safe. If you can keep that in the front of your leadership, things will go much, much better. Absolutely great. Bill Sterley, we could talk all day, and we uh, I'm sure Todd has got a little bit of anxiety because we've it's been a runaway train. We've <laughs> <delved> in <laughs> so let's say Todd to to kind of make a gracious ending to this great interview. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Um, and, and I'm okay because I see a two uh, a break coming up in three minutes, so we're good. As long as it's a whole number, I'm okay with things. Uh, really quickly, you, you mentioned uh, the email, and if you haven't seen it, it's info at centervisionleadership.org. It's there. But we want to invite you. Uh, Bill is our gracious guest. We're thrilled to have him. Bill's uh, been alongside you and, and part of Center Vision for quite some time, and we're really thankful for him. You see here on the page how you can get in touch with Bill. 
via Facebook, via Twitter, and also through his websites. Bill's doing great work. He does work not only with organizations, but also with families and parenting and, and runs training across not only the United States, but across the globe. And so we're really thankful to have him in. We want to encourage you and remind you that on Thursday at 4 p.m. we will be having a live chat, live Q&A on conflict. We want to continue this discussion. It's obvious that we can't fit it in in an hour. We did a pretty poor job trying to fit it in 35 minutes, so we're going to do much better as we try to work through that together, talking live, chatting live during that time. Again, thank you so much. We want to make sure you go and check out the magazine, nonprofitperformance.org, featuring an article by Bill Steerly, as well as Hugh, myself, and many other great contributors in the social benefit world. Thank you so much for joining us. We have been blessed by Bill being with us. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Bill. And have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.